The scripture today, or tonight, is from 2 Corinthians 8, and that is on page 1163. And it's verses 1 through 15, and then there's another one after that. The collection for the Lord's people. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was not ri- that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is, that, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15, and the subtitle is Generosity and Courage. It's on the same page. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so you can be generous in every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.
to be able to think about what it might mean for us to give back to you, to God who has given everything for us. So would you open our eyes to see things we've not seen? Would you, by your spirit, impress things upon our hearts? Would we sense your living in what it means for us to be generous and joyful and sacrificial givers alike, our Lord and Savior Jesus? Amen. Does anyone earn £150,000 a week? No? Okay, so just footballers. Well, Sally O'Barney is one of those footballers. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he's one of the main strikers for Liverpool. And uh, I don't know whether you know, though, that in a photograph of him entering into, into a football stadium quite recently, I think back in October, the photographer managed to take a shot of Sadio Mane's cracked iPhone screen. Here's a man who earns £150,000 a week, and his iPhone is broken. And uh, that kind of went viral a little bit, as people thought, that's curious, what's going on there? And he was asked about it, what, why don't you fix your iPhone? And he just opened up in terms of his attitude to money. And he said, why would I want 10 Ferraris, 20 diamond watches, and two jet planes? What would that, sorry, what would that do for the world? I starved. He grew up in Africa. I worked in the fields. I played barefoot. I didn't go to school. Now, I can help people. I prefer to build schools and give poor people food and clothing. I have built schools and a stadium, provide clothes, shoes and food for people in extreme poverty. In addition, I give 70 euros per month to all people from a very poor Senegalese region in order to contribute to their family economy. I do not need to display luxury cars, luxury homes, trips and even planes. I prefer that my people receive a little of what life has given me. Quite something, isn't it? Prefer that people would receive a little of what life has given me. I guess his humility is born from the fact that he chooses to look back and remember his humble origins, what, where he's come from. He's never forgotten where he's come from. Barefoot and hungry. But because of football, he's now rich. His life has been utterly transformed, and he might think. Sorry, we might think he ought to be thinking, I've escaped my past. But not at all. All that he now has, he uses to remember his past. That he might share his success with others who do not have a break in life that he's had. He says, because of what I have been given, now I can help others. Rather than using his wealth to pamper himself, he says, I prefer that my people receive a little of what life has given me. It's quite a story, isn't it? All from that little picture of his cracked iPhone. He didn't go around boasting or bragging, but he was given the opportunity to say something, so he did. Well, you picked a good week to be here this Sunday evening, because as you've already heard, this one Sunday in the whole year, we give over to thinking a little bit about what has God given to us? And what does it mean for us to give back to God? We call it our mission and ministry gift day. We get to think a little bit about what life has given to us and what we ought to do with it. We don't often talk about money in our services. In fact, you may have been coming here for a while, perhaps you're a student that started in September, and you're thinking, yeah, I've never heard of a city church talk about how the church is run, 
where the money comes from to fund the ministries, no one ever passes around a plate, and that's part of our desire that every Sunday people should be able to come and hear about Jesus without any thought that we might be asking for money from them to hear about Christianity or to consider Christ for themselves. And so again, tonight, just to put your mind at rest, at the start, we're not going to ask for a penny from anyone who's here this evening. What we want you to do is listen to what God's Word has to say, and then quietly go away and think and pray and decide if you're a regular or a member here at the church, what God might be asking of you, and then make a response in the days to come, or next week, or the week after that, so that there's no sense of having been manipulated uh, in any way to give. We're not going to be asking for anything from you this evening. But as I said, we have this moment to pause and think together, if Christianity is true, God has given me everything in Christ, if I really believe that, what difference will it make to my money? That's why we're here in this passage this evening. And I want to suggest the following, that <clears throat> grasping the gospel, in other words, taking Jesus deeper into my heart and into my life, has the power to turn me and you into generous and joyful and even sacrificial givers. Because that's what Jesus <coughs> was like. And we become a little bit more like him as we go on and grow up in the Christian life. And that's the definition of the Christian, isn't it? Little by little, more like Jesus. His desires become my desires and his life was a life of joyful generous, sacrificial service. So that he was even willing to give up his life to death on the cross for us. And when my life looks a little bit more like his life, that will begin to change the way I even think about what I own and the money that I have and what I do with it and so on. So when we come to a day like today, we will start to talk about whether we give back to God of what he's given to us, of what we give, how often we give, why we give. And in that sense, I think it's just something of a part of our discipleship, isn't it? We could have been talking about prayer, we could have been talking about sharing our faith on campus, but tonight we just happen to be talking about a different part of the Christian life. That we, if we're believers, want to look a little bit more like Jesus. And it's about our money. And as we go, we're going to be thinking a little bit about how your generosity meets the needs of City Church as we think about what our needs are as a, as a church. But I think mostly we're going to find out more about ourselves this evening than we will necessarily about the church. Something about the work that God is doing in our lives. As we think about giving, you see, it just starts to reveal... Our instincts. Are we glad we picked this week to come to church? Are we glad we're talking about money? Or is that a, is that a threat to us in some way? It's a bit of a health check, isn't it? Well, let's turn back to that passage, if you wouldn't mind, to 2 Corinthians and chapter 8, and that's page 1163, if you're using a church Bible. And as I've already hinted, what Paul wants us to see this evening that uh, God is in the business of turning Christians into generous, joyful, sacrificial givers. 
It's God's grace that begins to transform our hearts in relation to money. The grace of God that transforms our hearts. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul wants the church in Corinth to help meet a real need for God's people in Jerusalem. Paul is taking up a collection for poor Christians in Jerusalem around the Roman world and Christians are starting to get together and raise some money and they're going to give it to Paul and he's going to use it to meet the needs of suffering Christians in the church in Jerusalem. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians to remind them about that appeal, about that opportunity to respond to that gospel needs. But it's a passage from start to finish that's all about God being at work in their lives. It's all about God's grace. And the word grace simply means gift. That's what God's grace means. It simply means gift. And here is Paul at the beginning of chapter 8 describing what gift God has given to the church in Corinth. Now look with me at verse 1. They'll all come up on the screen. Verse 1. We want you to know about the grace, that is the gift, that God has given to the Macedonian churches. These are neighbouring churches. Not the Corinthian church, but kind of next door churches. We can tell you about how God has been at work powerfully in the life of these other Christians. What, is, what gift has he given them? Okay, verse 1. And then in the verse, two, uh, verse 4, sorry, we discover that they urgently, these other Christians, pleaded with us for the privilege, actually the word is exactly the same word as verse 1, for the grace of sharing in this service. They wanted to use their gifts to serve the church. And then moving on, verse 6, Paul talks about their act, or this act, of grace. Remember, he's talking about them giving money, this act of grace. And then verse 7, Paul says to the Corinthians, see that you excel in the grace, the gift of giving. And then verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift that Jesus gave to us, which was his very life on a cross to save us from our sins. So it's all about the gift that God gives, which is the ability to give. God, through the gospel, gives us a supernatural ability not to hold on to stuff and to accumulate and to hoard, but a supernatural ability to actually give away what he's given to us for the needs of others. The human instinct to accumulate, to want to, uh, to gain and to be greedy, well, that's replaced by a gift that says, I want to give away what God has given me because others have a greater need than my own. That's a weird thing. So contrary to the ways of the world, it's a God thing, a supernatural thing. The world tells us you need more stuff. Adverts shout to us, don't be satisfied with what you've got, there's more you need. And nothing comes more naturally than to spend money on ourselves. Something genuinely supernatural is going on in the life of a believer, when those human desires are placed with new desires that come in. And we start to say, I want my money to be used for a better thing. Do you notice that verse 4? The Macedonian churches urgently pleaded with us for the privilege 
of sharing in the service. It's not very often that, that a Christian comes up to me at City Church and pleads to give money to something. It doesn't happen every day. It's an extraordinary thing. It's a miraculous thing. It's a God thing for Christians to be so gripped by the grace of giving that they start to say, where is their need? And, and to pull out their, uh, their credit card or their checkbook, if you remember what those are, whatever else it might be. So my first point, God enables generous, joyful, sacrificial giving. Look again at verse 1. If I were writing verse 1, I think this is what had my verse 1 would begin. You ready? I'd say something like this. Paul writing to the Corinthians about the neighboring churches. I think I'd write this. I want you to know what the Macedonians have given to God. Okay, let me just say that again. I want you to know what the Macedonians have given to God. But look what Paul says, verse 1. I want you to know what God has given to the Macedonians. Do you see? That's, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? They're giving to God. No, no. It's all about the grace that God has given to them to change their lives, to turn their hearts into these extraordinary gifts. It's, it's a miracle, Paul says. I want to tell you what God is doing. You have to believe the miracles that are happening in this church down the road. Poor Christians are giving away their money. That's miraculous. I want you to know what God has given to the Macedonians. What is the gift that they received? Well, despite their extreme poverty, they're looking to give it away still. And the more you think about it, the more extraordinary it is. Verse 2. The Macedonians gave the word, verse 2, out of a most severe trial and out of extreme poverty. These guys really knew the meaning of the words credit crunch. Okay? And yet the very people you might have expected to ask for money are the ones asking for an opportunity to give away their money. Paul basically saying this is bubbling up from within them. They're joyful. They simply want to do it. Not being told. They're coming to Paul to do it. And, and they're generous. They're giving what they've hardly got to give. And they're giving sacrificially because it will cost them to give the little that they have to meet the needs of other Christians. Can you see Look, it's really important that you see this, especially for a student here tonight. I don't single out students, but I want you in particular students to see. It wasn't their circumstances that led them to be generous. Do you see that? These are Christians who didn't have money. Verse 2, extreme poverty. They weren't giving because they'd suddenly come into some money. They'd received an inheritance. They'd been given a bonus at work. No, they're extremely poor Christians. And it wasn't their circumstance. It was the gospel that led them to act in the way that they did. It was a God thing, not a bank balance thing. They hadn't just won the lottery and decided to give some of it to their friends. No, they're extremely poor, but they overflow with joy. And verse 3, he says... They actually really, when you think about it, verse 3, look with me, they gave beyond their ability to give. 
I'm not sure I quite know what that means. I, I don't know how Christians are sacrificial in that sense. What does it mean to be beyond your ability to give? I don't know, but I heard one story that a, 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 a short is a true story of a British Christian businessman who was travelling throughout Southeast Asia. And he was in a rural area and Christians were being persecuted there. The church building itself had been attacked and badly damaged. And as he travelled, he saw two men pushing hand plants through a muddy field. And he commented to his guide, wow, these guys must be really poor. But the guide said these words, oh, they're Christians and they sold their ox to help rebuild the church. And so this year, they're having to plan by hand. Well, I think that's a miracle, don't you? I think that's verse 3. Out of extreme poverty, they gave beyond their ability to give. Only the gospel can explain farmers selling their ox so they're plowing by hand. It is extraordinary. And the businessman took a picture of these men plowing by hand. When he got back to his church at home, he showed people in the church, look, just want to tell you this story. And he quietly decided that he would double his giving. Most people in a room like this tonight on a Sunday evening in the city, most people wouldn't think of themselves as rich. Many of you are students. There isn't a lot of money to go around. I've seen you shopping in our week. And responding to the needs of your church on a gift day will be asking you to be generous because you're saying you don't have much. And it will perhaps ask you to be sacrificial in a sense. What will it mean for you to give beyond your ability to give? For every person, I think that's a bit different. I think the way it works perhaps for students is choosing to give up something to free up money. I guess um, that might be a few Starbucks a week. Something like that, I don't know. Hard to know what sacrifice necessarily looks like for you. Um, it's a small thing, but for Jane and myself, we drive a car that's 11 years old. It's gone beyond the stage of being what I would call a reliable car. So when you switch the engine on, there's a bit of a relief when the engine starts up. It's kind of got to that stage. Um, it's not sacrifice, though, really, is it? I mean, we've hardly sold our car and walked into work. But, in a way, we know that if we hadn't given to the church in the way that we have given to the church and to our missionary friends and, and others, if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't be driving the car we're still driving now, and that's true. So there's an element of a decision to forego something for the sake of the gospel. Giving more generously and sacrificially means for us, in our situation, we're okay, we'll, we'll keep that car on the road and see if we can keep it going another year or two. But in, in lots of ways, it's been a spiritual blessing, I think, to know that we're doing it for Jesus. That sounds cheesy, but you know what I mean, don't you? And it's giving us new ways to grow as a Christian. So that, that it should cost us to give is doing us spiritual good, isn't it? It's like going to the gym, no pain, no gain. If money can just leave your bank account and you don't even know it's gone, 
and you don't feel its impact, I think you're missing out, actually, on growing as a Christian. So has giving ever felt like sacrifice to you? If it hasn't, I think you're missing out. It might still be benefiting the church, but it's not growing you. And that's what giving is designed to do. It's designed to grow you. So for, for Sadio Mane, that cracked screen is a symbolic reminder, isn't it? That he's choosing to put his money to better use. And keeping that. So maybe you've got a cracked screen now. Maybe you can hold on to that phone a bit longer and say, actually, that, that's good, actually. Every time I get, I'm going to remember something about the gospel. Why I've got a cracked screen. Not just because I dropped it, but I mean, why I've still got a cracked screen. Not choosing to upgrade your phone is a small way of saying, I've done it for Jesus, if that's why you've done it. Now we say every year uh, in this talk that um, for some of us, sacrificing, sacrificing may not mean giving more. For some here, giving what you are giving now is sacrifice. Perhaps bills have gone up and your salary hasn't. For others, being generous and sacrificial means you actually have to reduce your giving because you're earning less, or one is you stop working altogether if you're in a marriage or something like that, or you've retired. We certainly, as leaders at City Church, don't presume you should give more every year. That's not what this talk is about. But it is about the health check stuff, isn't it? Of, am I, would I ever dream or dare to consider myself in these terms? Generous? Joyful, sacrificial. Whatever figure you're going to put down to that, is that your kind of giving? Because that was the giving of Jesus. And the spirit of Jesus is in you. And the miracle of giving, Jesus was at work in these Macedonian churches in ways you wouldn't believe. In a severe trial, out of extreme poverty, they sold their ox. They gave beyond their ability to give. Not so their church could have a new building, but so that they could actually bless Christians in another part of the world, Jerusalem, that they probably had never met, nor ever would meet, beside them. So I think that, that's what we mean by the, by the health check thing. And you know, we're going to leave it between you and God. And what I mean by that is, I don't know what anyone in the church is. And I don't want to know. So as we talk a little later about the practicalities of who's giving and what that means and so on, please don't think that we're going to go away and pour over all these forms. I have no idea. Year on year. I've pastored this church with you for 20 years. I've not a clue what anybody gives. I never have. I don't know what Hugh gives. He does. It's between us and God. And always will be. There's only one person who needs to know, and that's our church manager, because he has to deal with the uh, form, no, deal with the gift aid forms and process things and so on. But I'm really, really glad I do not know and will not know what response you're learning. But I want to urge you as one of your pastors to allow your bank balance to look a little bit more like a bank balance. That is shaped by Jesus. 
to just where your money is going and how you're directing it and what that might mean and might look like. Look at verse 3b. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. It's a privilege to have resources to give back to God. The Macedonian churches could have made their excuse, but they were looking for an opportunity because they saw this is our chance to live for Jesus. And when the gospel gets hold of your heart, new desires bubble up. It's like taking the lid off a, a bottle. Imagine you've got one of those kind of aluminium bottles and uh, you take the lid off. Well, when you, when you start to shake it, what, what pops out when you're taking the lid off? Just the overflow of what's inside, isn't it? Shake the bottle. What comes out? Shake the bottle. That's what we're doing tonight. We're just shaking the bottle. It's up to you what comes out. From what we've received, do we say, I want Jesus to be known? And that's my priority with my, with my bank balance. I want to honor God with the way the church is blessing my life. I want to recognize ministry trainees who are meeting and reading the Bible with me one-to-one. I want to say thank you to student plus leaders. I want to say, Lord, bless these mission partners that we have as a church around the world, whether it's Bible translators in Senegal or midwives in Pakistan or people working cross-culturally in Birmingham like Craig and Claire that we pray for. And Lord, I know that through City Money is directed to them and I just want to be part of that work too. Verse 5. These Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord. So priority number one is, this is all about worship. I give myself wholeheartedly to Jesus. And then to us. In keeping with God's will. So it's because you love Jesus that we dare to say, might you consider giving to Jesus' mission in and through the local church. So first to the Lord. So you and the Lord pray, think, decide for yourselves, first to the Lord, and see what response that might mean for you in terms of the local church, you keeping the gospel. And I suggest the more you give yourselves to God, the more gracious your giving will become in return. Because He's giving you those desires. That's what the gospel can do for you. Turn you into this kind of thing. So next Paul turns to the Corinthians and, and he says to them, verse 6, now you've heard about the Macedonians. How about you, Corinthians? And he actually dares to say, how do you feel as I've compared you to the Macedonians? He's not afraid to do the compare and contrast. If, if this is what God can do for them, what might God do for you? How's it working out for you? Verse 8. I want to test the sincerity of your life by comparing it to the earnestness of others. So Paul says, this is no okay thing to do, to think about them and say, how do I compare to them? I want to test the sincerity of your life by comparing it to them. How do you measure what are the marks of spiritual maturity? Verse 7, just as you excel in everything, in faith, yeah, you, you really do genuinely love Jesus in speech. Yes, verse 7, you're, you're talking about Jesus in knowledge, yeah, you know, you know your Bible as well. In complete earnestness and in love for us. 
See also, verse 7, that you also examine this grace of me. Don't let that be the one part of your life that's untouched by the gospel. You love Jesus, you talk about Jesus, you pray, you read the Bible. Don't let this part be the missing bit. Because I think this is one of the key texts of our Christian life because it's so private, isn't it? It's just between you and God. So your own personal prayer life, it's a private thing. And that's what makes it a good test because there's no fixed motive. You're not doing it for my sake or for you or your shoe plus leader. No one's going to know. You're not going to put a brick in the wall that says so-and-so gave 50p a week from this day forward. You know, you're just not going to do that. It's you and God. Well, I think it is quite a good test. I could say to myself, I, can't, I could say, can I pastor a church? People seem to appreciate my preaching. And Paul would say, great, but are you a generous giver? You might say, I lead a senior small group. And Paul would say, great, but are you a generous giver? I'm seriously thinking about full-time ministry. But are you a generous giver? I play a great guitar. Oh, I have a church rosary under the sun. But are you a generous giver? Exciting grace of giving, says Paul. Let's see how we do. I don't know what defines congregations and what city has a reputation for, but it's been my experience over 20 years to say, I don't quite know who gives what, that's absolutely the case, but year in, year out, the members of City Church and the regulars here seem to give in this kind of way. Generously, joyfully, sacrificially. And the needs of the church are met every year by God moving and working in our lives to meet every need that we have. And I wonder whether Paul could say, I know about the grace that God has given to City Church. Wouldn't that be lovely to think three or four weeks down the line when we kind of report back on mission and ministry, give them what the needs are, but we'll be able to say, we know by the grace that God has given to us because of the way that we were able to respond to Him. I think Paul would say that thank you to God for signs of grace here at City, based on what I've seen in terms of people's joy and generous giving. And we have uh, that to look forward to in this year as well. What if you're a Christian and, and Macedonian giving wouldn't describe you? What if you think, I'm not sure this is me yet? What if with your hand on your heart you would have to say, I don't know that I want to give? Well, can I, again, just remind you not to go back to circumstances and say, oh, well, I, I'm sure I will later on, because I, I fear it can be a little bit of a master. You can say, well, when we have our first job and when this changes, and when... I fear we play that game of looking to circumstances in a way that isn't all that helpful. The Macedonians knew where there was a will, there was a way. Um, circumstances have their parts, absolutely. We can only give what we've got to give and no more. But I think if there is a joy in my heart, 
that says, Lord Jesus, you have given me so much in the gospel. I want to give back to you. That those other things can begin to emerge, both the generosity and the sacrifice. And we need to test ourselves, just as Paul urges us to do. Because if we're not sure we want to give, all I can say as I draw to the close is verse 9, let's go back to the cross and ask God to give us this kind of a heart. You see, who finally is the one who gave generously, joyfully, sacrificially, willingly? The answer is God himself in the person of his son. God gave us everything. There is no wealth comparable to the wealth of Jesus, the heir of all things, of heaven and earth. He was and is seriously rich, but he chose to give it up. Give it up. He chose poverty. And all for you and for me. And it wasn't just the economic poverty of a stable or of only no earthly possessions. No, it was total poverty. He gave beyond the ability to give. When he was rejected and ridiculed and persecuted and betrayed and stripped naked and suffered and died on a cross at Golgotha, the richest person who has ever lived on the cross became the poorest who have ever lived. He took the debt that we owed and owned it as his own. And he did it to make you rich spiritually. To give you his righteousness. So that you might be adopted as a child of God, a son and daughter of the living God, a co-heir with him. All that was of his he gave to you. So the cross is how we move our hearts to be motivated to give, isn't it? The body of Christ was broken for me. What response do I make for him? Isaac Watts put it in the words of that great hymn, didn't he? Were the whole realm of nature mine? If I owned the world, if I was Jeff Bezos and owned the world seeing me, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus died that we might become rich. And Jesus died that we might become generous. Because we're rich. And Christ paid the penalty for our sins and Christ through his death has broken the power of sin in our lives so that we can be rich. And we see it in the lives of these Macedonians and I pray we'll see it increasingly in the lives of one another. So as I close, let me just mention two practicalities. Verse 11. You can genuinely think that was challenging talk, that's a powerful talk, I'm going to go away and think about it, and you can still end up doing nothing if you're anything like me. We've got to get around to giving. The Corinthians hadn't seen started a collection in the past. Verse 10, there was once upon a time when they wanted to give, and Paul has to now urge them, verse 10, to finish the work. In other words, you've got to you know that form you said you were going to fill in? Well, you've got to do it. You've got to actually fill in the form. You see, verse 11, you can have an eager willingness that doesn't translate into action. 
just like these Corinthians. For many of us, I think our biggest problem in giving is simply that just like our prayer, just like our Bible reading, it's pretty sporadic and unplanned. It's one of those things that we know it's good to do and yet we don't get around to it. And maybe we just need to find a way to remember to get the job done. Listen. Get around to the habits of giving what you can, verse 12. And this is where some of us, because we have a little bit more money than maybe this time last year, can review and revise and update our giving. Verse 12, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not what one doesn't have. So you can't give what you haven't got, but can we be generous with what we do have? And if that's changed, then our giving can and should reflect that, I suggest. Many of you haven't got a lot to give, but where there's a, a way, where there's a will, there's a way, isn't there? So whether that's uh, foregoing that new smartphone upgrade, giving the equivalent of going to a football match once or twice a term, whatever it might be. I mean, I've met students who can raise a thousand pounds for an airfare to China to go on a three-week summer project. So if you're a student, you can raise grand to get on a plane to go to China. Well, you know, giving 10 pounds a week, a month, whatever you decide what it should be, is not beyond our impossible, is it? We all have something to give, and the way of honouring God and showing our love for Jesus is to give to Him first. And to do it in a systematic and considered way. Well, God's word in the gospel really does change lives, and this has the power to change your life too. God's grace does enable you to become generous and joyful, grace to your givers. And if you're a student, why can't that start now at 18 and stay with you for the rest of your life? And that might mean a great deal given to the gospel over many, many years. As a church, our MMGD is in fact stockpiling a great big reserve of cash. In fact, City Church runs at a permanent loss. We're always kind of just trying to catch up with the money that we need to keep going. So as we look at this leaflet in a few minutes' time, I hope that we'll be able to set out how you might help and uh, what that could look like now and in the months and years to come. And it might be you just need to talk this through with an older, wise Christian. Well, why not find that person, talk to a student plus leader and say, I want to get this right, can I just talk it through with you? What do you think? And this is my situation. This is how I think I'd like to respond. But let's take a moment to pray. And let's ask that the Lord might do a miracle in our lives, just as he did with these Macedonians, to his praise and glory. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Almighty God, thank you that we have not only reasons to give, but through the gospel a power, a supernatural power, to be able to give. So Lord, would you work 
grace in our lives, that this part of our lives would be transformed so that we're a little bit more like the Lord Jesus who gave everything for us. Amen.